Queers. It's our weekly rundown of queer horror shorts, and I'm Joe. And I'm Trace, but wait, we're doing this weekly? <laughs> That's right, <laughs> sucker. You signed up for the wrong thing. When you said that we were gonna do these in lieu of our monthly columns on Bloody Disgusting, I was under the impression that they were also going to be monthly discussions. <laughs> that's why we're keeping these motherfuckers short. Yeah, that's fine. Um, yeah, hi everybody. Um, well, we're testing something out that's a little bit new. Uh, as some of you may know, or hopefully all of you know, I don't know, this podcast was birthed from an article column on Bloody Disgusting called Horror Queers, which is where Ew, our namesake I came from. I just pictured like us being birthed onto like a website with like viscous and fluids and stuff. Just to go noise. Yeah, that's yeah. nasty. <laughs> Um, and I don't know, it's, it's not that we've gotten tired of doing the articles, but we've decided to kind of make the move into just exclusively audio. And what Joe has tried to get me to do for a long time is do like a bunch of shorts for the podcast. And I've always been kind of against it because I'm like, I don't know who's going to listen to that. So we compromised. Mm-hmm. So what we're going to do is we obviously will continue the regular episodes on the Wednesdays, and we're going to try out this new format, which will drop on Fridays. And the intention is to shine a spotlight on the filmmakers who may never make feature films because it's really fucking expensive and it's hard to do. But a lot of up-and-coming filmmakers cut their teeth on shorts or they can financially... I guess, compromise in their own right, right, to get that revision creatively out there. So it's much easier to make a short than a feature. And there's a lot of filmmakers that we otherwise wouldn't cover and a lot of really interesting films that we wouldn't get to cover if we didn't do shorts. And honestly, nobody else talks about shorts and particularly not queer shorts. It's true. And I really do feel bad for PR people who have to shill shorts out because I feel like yeah, they just don't get covered that much. And so we've also figured this is a way to help out the community. Every short that we cover will be a specifically queer and specifically horror short. So it's like, we're going to have stricter rules on that for these. And every short will also be readily available to the public. This is not going to be something that, you know, we've seen and y'all haven't. Because obviously, y'all want to listen to this, y'all should be able to do it. And when we say shorts, I mean, it could be a five minute short, it could be a 25 minute short, it just kind of depends. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure we'll have shorts of varying quality, and the intention is always just to say, you know what, there's this other queer horror content out there that we should be talking about, and we should be raising the platform up for these individuals as well. So we thought, let's give this a go. Okay. (laughs) So we're going to start with a short film from 2018 called Instinct. Yes, and I was surprised with this today because I forgot we were recording about this, and so I woke up and I was like, "Oh, I have a short in my inbox. Oh, it's from Joe. Okay, I guess I'm. I guess we're doing this." <laughs> yeah. So I should give a little bit of context. I found this at the Brooklyn Horror Film Festival back in 2018, and as far as I know, feel free anybody who runs a film festival, you can correct me. 
but I'm pretty sure that the Brooklyn Horror Film Festival is one of the few mainstream horror festivals that actually has a shorts program that's explicitly dedicated to queer horror so they have a shorts program called slade and for the past two years they have offered between five and six short films that fall into this category so this is where i first saw instinct a couple years ago and i really liked it and i've been wanting to talk about it for a long time I really, really liked it, too. And here's the thing. like I've been to festivals, and they do shorts programs. I never go see them. The only way I go see shorts is when they play in front of a film. And listeners, the way that it normally works, at least at Fantastic Fest, if the movie is, like, less than 100 minutes, they'll almost always put a short in front of it. If it's longer, they won't. But then they also have shorts, like, blocks, where, like, instead of going to see a full-length feature, you can go see, you know, 20 short films or however the fuck. Mm -hmm. And somebody cued us to the fact that if you make a short that's over a certain length of time, it means that it can't be put in front of a feature because that would then make it too long. Hence the reason why you have shorts programs and you have films like this, which clocks in at... 18 minutes. Yeah, 18 minutes. So this is longer than the average short that you might see, particularly in front of a feature film. What I do like about shorts too is that well, at least in my experience, like I always go in not knowing what they are. Like I just know the name, and you'll see the credits. And a lot of times, when you're watching a short, it's almost like a puzzle. Like you're trying because they have so much, like so little time to kind of get their point across. And that kind of was the case with this one, where you're watching, you're like, okay, I kind of get what's going on. And then normally, it's like it ends with the kind of like the ball drop, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. One of the things that I find about shorts is that if it's a good, quote unquote, short, what often ends up happening is that I'm left wanting more. Now, Mm -hmm. I'm actually going to say that in this case, this short is kind of giving me everything that I want. I don't think I would want to see a feature length version of this because I think that the 18 minutes is all that's required to tell a good, interesting, complicated story. I agree, and the thing with this one, and y'all, y'all may have heard us talk about in some films we've covered that were, that started as short films, that's how it's like, oh, it feels like a short film that's stretched to feature length. This is a short where if it was made a feature, it would just become a slasher film, like a pseudo-slasher of some kind. Yeah, it would become Velvet Buzzsaw, but like, but like hopefully not bad. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear. Okay, so the quick rundown of Instinct. This is directed by Maria Alice Arita, and she is a Brazilian genre director, and this is her thesis film that she completed to get her Bachelor of Fine Arts at the AFI Institute. So one of the things we should note is that this short looks gorgeous, and some of the ones that we're going to cover in the future let's just say they're not going to have the same kind of polish. (laughs) Which is fair. I mean, yeah. I was going to say something like longer, but that's it. That's, I think that's fair. And one of the things is like, we're not judging the shorts based on the inherent quality, particularly in this case, she was working with professional quality camera equipment, right? Mm-hmm. And she didn't have to worry about renting it because it was likely part of the program and so on. But all that to say, if folks have not checked it out, and obviously the link to the short is in the show notes, and we're going to recommend you check it out before we talk about it. But the logline is, Mm -hmm. Isabella, a gallery owner who's searching for love, is instantly attracted to Camilla, a younger and seductive performance artist. But will art imitate life? Um, yeah, it does. Sure does. (laughs) (laughs) Spoiler alert, it sure does. What I liked about this was it really did pull the rug out from under me because I thought Camilla was going to be the one who was the killer. Well, it's because she's very vampy. 
right? Like she comes off almost like a femme fatale, like she's luring in Isabella. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, you get to the end of the short and you realize, oh, Isabella has been playing this girl the The entire time. time. Uh, Did you get Megan Fox vibes from Jordan Monaghan, who played Camilla? I did. Yeah, she reminded me of a couple of different actresses and even like the sequences where we see her nude in the bathtub and Mm -hmm. then later on the schlab. Yeah. See, I was also thinking of Bridget Moynihan for some reason. Yeah, that'll work too. Yeah. I mean, just like stunningly beautiful brunette who is maybe too used to using her looks to get what she wants and it gets her into trouble. Well, that's what we get from the performance art, right? Like the performance art thing, I'm not an art critic. I don't feel qualified to critique art, but oh my God, watching like her draw her own blood and then, you know, basically it connects to a faucet, which then pours the blood on her back. It's like, Mm -hmm. okay. Which is very like Countess Bathory, very Camilla, lesbian vampire vibes. Right, but it's also a tease because it's obviously it's a trickle of blood. You know, it's not like she's bathing in blood, which is kind of a primer for what Isabel does to her, which is use all that blood. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that I loved was the symmetry and particularly Christine Kellogg Darren's performance as Isabel. Oh man, just the way that she looks at Camilla it's really hard to unpack what she's feeling. Like she plays it so mysteriously, mm-hmm. but particularly that moment where they lock eyes because of course, Isabel is controlling the faucet and you can see her just maliciously advancing it and turning it on more and more. And you're thinking, you know, there's only a little bit of blood coming out of that, but it's been minutes. Like, that's way more than you would ever give if you were giving blood. And when you think about it, though, it is pretty coincidental that, because obviously the, the way the, the film ends is, okay, like, all of her paintings are used from her victims, you know, the, the blood yes. of her victims. And so it's kind of coincidental that, like, this latest victim of hers also uses her own blood in her art. Well, I don't think that's coincidental. I think that's well-constructed from a yeah, narrative yeah. point of view. Mm-hmm. I get that. But I love, too, the implication that Isabel has killed her mother to take over this gallery. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's like, where is she getting all that blood from? It's like, well, all you got to do is look at whoever she paints on those giant fucking canvases. <laughs> There's something else about short films. Like, I feel like even the aesthetic of them feels different to me than feature films. Like, I don't know if it's the Foley work. Like, even like whenever Camilla kind of walks up to her and it's every footstep you have that click, 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 click of the heels on the floor. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's something about it that just sounds different or sounds more crystal clear than what I get in a feature sometimes. And I don't know how else to describe that. I wonder if part of it is that we are so attuned to the smaller details because we're trying to pay hyper attention because we know that it's shorter. So like mm-hmm. every beat counts in a short. That may be entirely possible. Yeah, I think that's probably a really good way to describe it. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I think we could probably talk at greater length about this, but I think this is probably a good place to start. Well, I do want to say, so I think the paintings that Isabel does are great, but there's something about the very, very final shot when she dips her hands so sensually in Mm -hmm. the bucket of blood and just kind of brings them up, massages her hands as if it's lotion... And then just rubs them on her breasts. Yeah, it's very provocative. It's very sensual. But it's almost like she's also giving herself a hug. It's not exactly sexy so much as she's, like, she's captured Camilla for her private collection forever now. 
okay, I think this is a good way to end these, actually. So I know we already touched upon, like, oh, would you watch a feature-length film of this? I think Mm -hmm. that would probably be something we should do at the end of the episodes now. But what I will say is, while I agree with you, that, you know, I don't need to see more of this, what I do want more of is I actually would like to know more about Isabel. Like, I think if you make a feature of this, maybe don't do a slasher film, make it a character study. Oh, see, that's funny that you said that, because I was thinking the feature-length version of this would be Old May. Yes, yes! Oh my god, 100%. This is what would have happened if May had managed to grow out of her awkward social interaction state to become, like, a successful businesswoman, but who also still harbors dark fantasies about killing people and making them her own. Yes, I think that's fantastic. And so, basically, now she's moving on to blood painting, and she's got her little Amy doll up in the corner in the statue, and, and like a glass case somewhere. <laughs> yeah, and every time she kills someone, the glass cracks just another little inch. No, 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 no. The glass is fine now, because now she is, quote-unquote, completely fine. Because right. she's getting what she needs. Yes. Yeah. She's mastered her craft, you can say. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's a good place to end it. Uh, I hope that y'all enjoyed our first foray into queer horror shorts, and we look forward to giving you more of these. Yeah. So on that note, we can cross out instinct. Yes, and cross out micro queers. Disgusting Podcast Network, home of creepy, disturbing, and terrifying creepy pastas, SCP archives, weekly full cast storytelling, horror queers, genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective, and the Boo Crew. Horror-centric interviews. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com/podcasts.